0: Welcome to Take a Moment, I'm Mari Yamaguchi.
1: And I'm Nathan Bennett. Today's episode of Take a Moment is a little different. We're dealing with some topics that are a little bit difficult to talk about sometimes, but definitely must be talked about and must be addressed. Today we have two guests, Karen and Pam, and they are clinicians at Integral Care. Integral Care provides a tremendous service to those who might be struggling with mental health issues and also provides wonderful services for those who want to be aware of what some of the warning signs might be for someone who is having suicidal ideation, other mental ailments.
2: They
0: offer services that are not just strictly for mental health as well. They also offer assistance for those seeking addiction coping mechanisms, as well as services that are most of the time life-saving.
1: Right. I mean, anywhere from wellness services, medication, drug, and alcohol treatment, helping people quit tobacco use. Integral Care is an incredible organization doing incredible work and we get into why folks call. Right,
0: why folks call and why I think right now it's so important more than ever, I think, with what's been going on with 2020 as a year <laughs> um, yeah. with sheltering in place, pandemics and everything. The heaviness uh, is also with a lot of the social injustice as well, too. It's, it's been a heavy year. It has
1: been this. a heavy year. It has been a heavy year. And Pam and Karen go into how that's affected the folks at Integral Care, uh, how their call volumes have increased. And... Just getting to talk to these two incredible women about what they do and why they do it was so moving to me. And man, talk about just having respect for people who have a gift, this gift of empathy and also knowing how to talk to people in some really, really dark moments of their lives. Such incredible conversation to have with these ladies and we appreciate their time. We appreciate what Integral Care continues to do. To serve their community. And uh, during our commercial break, about 20 or so minutes in, our producer Josh Reed is going to come on and he's going to share some of the resources that you can find to either help yourself if you're experiencing any kind of mental anguish or to be able to help others as well. So be sure to stay tuned for that.
0: Definitely an important conversation. So we hope you take a moment with us.
1: Aaron and Pam, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Take a Moment, and thank you for all the work at Integral Care that both of you do. For those of us listening who may not know, can you give us a sense of who Integral Care is and why the work you're doing over there is so vital?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people in our community think of integral care as like a lifeline for our community. We're the local mental health authority for Travis County, and we provide quite a few services to the people here. anywhere from someone needing you know help with mental health services, we partner with different people in the community, so we're able to help get people connected to housing, counseling, anything that, that they may need. People call us for a array of things, whether people are suicidal, feeling depressed. And right now with COVID, you know, we're even getting calls, you know, people needing help navigating that as well. So we just kind of think of ourselves as like, you know, a lifeline for the community. And you can call us anytime, 24-7. There's always going to be somebody here to, to answer our calls.
1: Aaron, what does a kind of day look like at Integral Care for you? How many calls are you processing and what are the nature of those calls? And again, we're going to be respectful to what you can talk about, of course, but just to kind of give us a sense of what's going on inside the building and how are you affecting lives?
4: Yeah,
2: definitely. So, you know, integral care is not just the crisis hotline. We have other types of services like Pam mentioned, we um, have like mental health clinics where we help with like medication and stuff like that. We also help with like partnering with people with drug and alcohol dependencies and treatment. But you know a day in the life with the crisis line is we have this awesome team of individuals who, who take calls and i guess volume would largely depend on you know sometimes like the day of the week and stuff like that but i would say maybe like depending on like the shift that you're in maybe like easily a single person can handle 20 to sometimes 50 calls it just depends on you know that what's going on that day
1: Do you find that there are certain days of the week that might have a higher call volume traditionally? Like is there, say, X day, we know that there's probably going to be a little bit higher volume so we're going to staff accordingly?
2: Yeah, I I would say more so maybe not like a day of the week, but like certain times of like maybe the month. I've noticed that some of it has to do, you know, mental health is really sometimes dependent on other things like social economic factors. So, you know, People may be better off in the beginning of the month when they got their paycheck, but, you know, later on may be facing other things like homelessness or, you know, stress due to financial reasons. And so they may be reaching out maybe closer to like mid-month or the end of the month. So just kind of day-to-day life.
0: You're talking about it could change depending on the time of the month, et cetera. Do you see any changes during the seasons? I know right now we're, we're in a, a little bit of a strange situation where some things have probably prolonged longer than I think we anticipated since the beginning of 2020. Are you either of you noticing any more of a surge uh, because of that? and if you can maybe talk a little bit about some of the kinds of conversations you're having without relaying too much information of of the callers.
3: Yeah, I think just with COVID, our call volume has changed quite a bit. Yeah, we're getting, I feel like we're getting a lot more calls now with COVID, and I think now people that maybe hadn't would have called the the crisis line in the past are now calling it's affecting everybody it's it's affecting the people here you know at the call center we're all affected by this yeah we're getting you know people losing their jobs worried about where they're going to live worried about you know how they're going to pay their bills how they're going to take care of their kids even teachers, you know, worried about having to go back to school or, you know, parents worried about, you know, I need to go back to work, but, you know, my kids are home doing online school. We're getting all kinds of different calls just because of, of COVID. I, I see an increase in that.
1: I, I'd like to kind of go back and find out a little bit more about the two of you because the work that you're doing is so vital and so important. And I know close to my heart, and I think Mari's as well, and I guess what we want to get at is the why. This is not an easy thing that you're doing. I mean, working in a call center of any kind, no matter what it's for, is a really daunting task and requires a tremendous amount of patience, empathy for sure, just a love and a care for people at a minimum. But what you're doing is so much more than that. And I wonder if you can give us a sense of what interested you in this line of work, and I'll say service as well, because I think you're providing a service to other humans in the the most vital way. Where did that desire come from, and what led you to Integral Care?
3: I think we all love that question when we get asked that question. Here at the crisis center, I can tell you like everybody is kind of like-minded. It's it's like a little utopia here. Everybody that works here has a degree. A lot of people think with, you know, crisis lines that they're volunteers, but that's not the case. Everybody has a degree. Everybody could work anywhere that they wanted to, but everybody chooses to be here. This is exactly where we want to be. Speaking for myself personally, it's just a calling. I started out going to school for psychology. I thought I wanted to be a therapist and as I went through school I wanted to do something on a more grand scale instead of you know one-to-one. I wanted to do something bigger. I eventually like got my master's in business. I wanted a leadership position where I could provide servant leadership to the the people that I work with. And that's why I chose to do this. Even with the business degree, I I knew that you know I was going to stay in in social services. And all of us at work here, I mean we're here because we really want to be each call we're ready to take that call
2: and, and we're here because we want to help people.
1: Karen what about you?
2: I grew up in a small little border town where you know a lot of us those- were like mexican American at least the city where I grew up and we didn't really talk about like mental health and stuff like that but growing up I had a lot of friends that were teenagers that were dealing with a lot of those issues like self-interest behavior suicidal thoughts and stuff like that and I found myself trying to be the person supporting those friends and luckily I was able to confide in an adult with like those how hard it is to be able to support support someone. And I just wanted to be that person that could lead others to learn how to do it in in a correct manner so that, you know, you're not affecting yourself, you're providing the correct type of support. And so I decided to go to school for psychology as well. I got my bachelor's and then I found out about integral care and so happy to be here.
0: Yeah, Karen, you mentioned you grew up in a border town, Mexican-American is your heritage. We're seeing that talking about mental health and aspects of it vary very much by culture. Can you touch a little bit on that? Because I know that maybe here in the Western culture, we're a little bit more open about talking about it. But I know even for me and in my East Asian culture, it's something a little bit taboo and we don't talk about it. If a family member is suffering from a mental health issue, it's kind of like, we're going to sweep it under the rug, we're going to pretend it's not happening, or we're just not going to talk about that relative. So kind of tell us a little bit about some of those cultural aspects that you're seeing and maybe debunking some of that taboo and maybe some steps if folks are in that situation on how they might be able to handle those conversations.
2: Yeah. One of the things that I love is that I'm able to kind of bring in, you know, that cultural response to it and also be able to educate the people knowing what what their thought process is already having grown up that way. But very much like, like you mentioned, it's, kind of taboo to talk about mental health there's not really that connection of like yeah your brain is an organ too and just like you would you know go to the doctor for diabetes you know if you're experiencing any type of like mental health issues you can go to a doctor for your brain right and so there, there kind of is that or from at least my personal experience like if you talk about being depressed or being sad anything like that it's just you're kind of seen as being like negative, or like, what, why would you think that? Or is your, your life not good? You have a, a roof over your head. So it's just kind of things like that where it's kind of discouraged to talk about and just kind of put to the side. Like, let's not talk about that. I'm happy when, you know, I get a Spanish speaker that's, you know, calling into the hotline because I get to tell them, like, you did exactly what you should be doing. You should be proud of yourself. That takes a lot of courage to give us a call. Let me give you more information on what you can do and, you know, just kind of encouraging being able to talk about it. Because so I think what the fear is, like if we talk about it, it's going to be something that's real and it's something that I'm going to have to deal with.
1: Pam, I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of the steps that you might take a caller through. Obviously, you've gotta determine why they're calling, what the reason is for the call, and then from there you make a number of informed decisions probably instantaneously, I'm imagining, based on your experience and, and expertise. I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through The process of receiving a call for the first time. What are the kind of some of the questions that you're asking? What are some of the things that you're listening for? And then how do you decide to proceed from there?
3: Yeah, all the calls that come in, first off, we want everybody to know that they're anonymous. Our goal is to help keep people safe, and we want a safety plan in the least restrictive way possible. I know a lot of people are afraid to call and and tell us, like, even that they're having suicidal thoughts because they're afraid that we're going to call the police, and that's not the case at all. Our goal is to safety plan with you. Our goal is to keep you safe and keep you alive tonight or, or, you know, whatever it is that you're needing, so... That's the first thing that we want everybody to know. We're not going to call the police on you. That's not what we want to do. So when someone calls, the first thing we want to do is like normalize it. We want you to know those feelings that you're having, those things that you're going through. You're not alone. You're not the only person feeling that way. A lot of people feel exactly the way that you're feeling. We even open up our dialogue by asking what pronouns a person uses. I think that's really important to do. And then from there, you know, we kind of like triage the call and kind of find out what it is that they're needing. Are they just needing resources? Are they just needing someone to talk to? Are they needing to get To services so we kind of navigate it you know that way and sometimes we do get people that you know call that really are contemplating suicide so we will you know walk them you know through the steps of safety planning do you have you know access means you know prior attempts things like that and and we do our best just to safety plan with them and get them to a safe place to where they're willing to put those things away you know take the next steps to getting help. And then sometimes we just get, you know, people that are just feeling anxious or having a, a panic attack. And we're more than happy to walk somebody through that and talk them down. Sometimes you just need somebody to listen to, you know, as well. And we're, we're more than happy to do that as well. You don't have to be suicidal, you know, to call the hotline. You can call for any reason at all. And people do utilize it that way. That, that's, you know, most what we do. It's, our goal is just to keep people safe. Even if we get an accidental call, we're gonna we're gonna assess our safety and make sure you're safe. That's our
0: goal. That's great. You know, often we hear and this might be going back to some of those stereotypes that folks might have about suicidal ideation and, and who is the type of person that that is even "quote unquote" allowed to have those thoughts, but more and more we're seeing it's those folks that, you know, on the outside they seem fine. They're thriving, like you said, Karen. They have a great roof over their head. They have a great family. They have a great job, and yet we're shocked when we hear news that they have ended up taking their lives. Kind of walk us through for folks who might be in that category who who think, you know, hey, I've got it all. I shouldn't be having these ideations or these thoughts, like, what are some things that they can do so that it doesn't get to that point?
2: I think one of those things is just kind of being able to look out for some of those signs of when someone might be at risk. Some some of those can be if they were, you know, typically very like active with like friends and family, and you kind of notice that they've kind of like pulled away or isolated. It's been a while since you've heard from them and that's not normal for them it might be helpful to reach out to them ask them also if there's been any like increases in any like substance use like drug use alcohol use that can sometimes not help with the situation changes in personalities would also be something especially if it's day to night type of uh, situation another thing is changes in like diet or sleep. If this is a person that typically sleeps, let's say like eight, nine hours a day, and now they're sleeping like half the day, or they're not getting any sleep at all. That might be something that is kind of indicative that there, there might be something going on. And then of course, if, if you're having those thoughts to kill yourself, of course you want to reach out. But I, I think something that's also very helpful is we often ask people like, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, the typical response is, I'm doing okay. And a lot of times it's even when you're not okay. And so maybe just like normalizing the the fact that you're able to answer like, hey, my day, you know, really sucked today. And even that, because it opens up being able to talk about uh, things that are a little bit harder. And it it lets people that care about you know what's going on with you.
1: I think you bring up a really, really important point, and that is – The reaching out to someone that you may just have a concern for and how to do that carefully and respectfully with empathy, with love, Mm. can be really difficult. So this is my thought process, and it's just sort of a maybe so you can tell me whether this sounds crazy or not. I found that in myself, because of social media and things like Facebook, one, there it's very image-driven. So what you're posting is a lot of times very rosy you're posting the best possible picture of you on your best possible day and you're not posting those things of like i'm a wreck today i feel depressed i am full of anxiety i can't get out of bed those aren't things that you normally see on somebody's facebook page so that's one danger the other danger is maybe this is just a personal thing i have so many friends around the world and Because I see their Facebook posts or, you know, I feel like I'm kind of faux keeping in touch with them, but in reality, I'm not. So what I'm guilty of, I think, is just sort of checking up on those people in that way, not really engaging, but just saying, oh, they look fine. So I guess everything's okay. And then I don't reach out and I don't make that phone call or I don't even like send them a direct message or something like that. And I wonder for those people who maybe are concerned about someone in their life, that they see some of these red flags going up. How might you suggest that we do reach out to those people? I know there are so many pitfalls that we can get into. There's so many sort of landmines that you, you don't want to get involved with because you don't want to scare them away. You want to be respectful. I wonder if you can give us some tips Not only in how you recognize those things, but then how do you reach out? How do you address them in a respectful way that's not going to shut somebody down or make somebody feel bad?
2: I think just first off, letting the person know that you care and you value them. A lot of the times they they already have in the back of their head, like no one would care if something were to happen to me. So just letting them know like, hey, I see you for who you are and I, I want you around. I care about you. I like this about you, right? So maybe like, I love the way that you make me laugh. Things like that can be sometimes helpful. And then after you've kind of established you care about them, maybe see like, well, you know, I I noticed that you may possibly be struggling. Do you want to talk about that? And just kind of provide that space. And I know it can sometimes be a little awkward sitting in like silence, but just give that person to, to sit in that silence and give them time to be okay with, with it. And sometimes, you know, that that helps. Or we've had people that will call the hotline together. They might be like, hey, I have my friend. They, they agreed for us to give us the call. And so they're they're not having to do it alone. Yeah, we just think that it's really important just to
3: normalize people's feelings and behaviors and and allow them to have whatever feelings that they're having and and let them know that it's okay and there's help out there and there's nothing wrong with feeling suicidal or having those thoughts or or even being, you know, depressed. It's okay to feel that way and that's the easiest way to get people to open up about it because, you know, there is that stigma around it and just by normalizing it and letting them know that, you know, they're not the only one that's... It's feeling that way. There's plenty of people that have, are going through the exact same thing. And that's usually how we try to, you know, start out conversations with people. That's probably the most important thing. Just, and even just asking, you know, being direct and say, are you having thoughts of killing yourself? And if you are, it's okay. Let's talk about it. You know, and and if someone's not wanting to talk to you, giving them numbers, like giving them our number to the crisis line, giving them the number to the national suicide prevention line, giving the, them options of other places that they could go to to talk about it.
0: Very important conversation that we're having today with Pam and Karen. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick commercial break, where we're going to actually offer some guidance for folks on uh, suicide prevention and some resources as well. But more to come with Interval Care when we come back.
4: Hello there, Josh Reed here, producer of Take A Moment. As mentioned before, the topic of today's episode can be difficult to hear and can be quite heavy, but it doesn't make it any less important. The work that Integral Care is conducting in Travis County, Texas is of the utmost importance for individuals in need of resources for mental health, as well as suicidal ideation. Today, we've mentioned several resources that you can utilize, and all of those are linked below on Genesis.com, as well as in the description field for each podcast application that you're listening through today. That includes the Integral Care website if you're in need of that emotional support. We also talked about the NAMI, as well as the National Domestic Violence Hotline all of which are below. Please take advantage of these if you are struggling, especially during these trying times. I also want to thank you all for listening to today's episode and thank you all for your support and take a moment. Be sure to subscribe and share and stay tuned for the next episode.
2: Karen
0: and Pam, thank you so much for taking a moment with us. I know that we've been talking about a very important subject near and dear to both Nate and I's hearts and then also to both of you as well. We've talked about first-time incoming calls, but Karen, you mentioned that another service that you provide is callbacks and how important that is. So wanting to understand a little bit more of that process and how folks receive those callbacks
2: yeah so you know we recognize the importance of being able to provide you know those wraparound services usually people have those suicidal thoughts and Sometimes they, they don't go away with just like one one conversation. So we want to be able to talk to the person, make sure that they're doing okay if they need that additional support. So we often will provide a follow-up call, especially if the person's requesting it. And we'll have one of our uh, call takers reach out to you and talk to you, see if you were able to get some additional outside supports if they feel like they may need more resources than we were able to touch on during that initial call if they feel like they they would like to safety plan regarding some of you know other things that are going on but we really deeply care about the people that we talk to so we want to make sure that they continue to be okay
1: i remember a former life of mine where i had a career in healthcare And my job was to take care of a lot of people who couldn't, specifically for their dietary needs and things like that. And I remember feeling very rewarded during that work. But when I would go home, I would carry a lot of that sort of emotional weight and baggage with me. And I found that I had to figure out how to offload that stuff so that I didn't bring it home to either me or to my family or something like that. I'm wondering from the two of you, what's your perspective and how do you manage to keep up your own personal care to continue to bring the best every day to those people who are really in need? How do you protect yourselves and cope yourselves with what you do?
3: Self-care is really important and that's big at integral care. I mean, we get emails about it reminding us to make sure that we're doing self-care and it's different for everybody. And it's the same thing like we tell, you know, the callers when they're calling in, you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. What are things that have worked in the past that, you know, have helped you, you know, whenever you're struggling, those are the things that you want to go to. I say that it's selfish, but it's really not, you know, sometimes you, you have to like be a little selfish and like tonight I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm not going to ask everybody else. I'm not going to ask the kids. I'm not going to ask the husband, I'm just going to pick something that I want to do. I'm going to watch a movie. I want to watch little things like that. Everybody has to find their own. And I, th- I think that that really helps. And, and we're able to like express that in the calls as well, make sure that the callers are doing the same before we end the calls we want to make sure like hey what are you going to do today to take care of yourself what are you going to do tomorrow let's talk about some things you can try to do but I think they're different and they're personal for everybody but it's really really important and sometimes we having support of each other being able to talk about a tough call that we had so that we don't take it home you know is really important we you know staff here with each other just to to make sure that that doesn't happen
0: Pam, you mentioned you have servant leadership as kind of the, your style there at Integral Care. I'm wondering, as you're looking to hire folks on the crisis line, what are some of those key qualities that you look for in the folks that answer the phones and then also to uphold the core values of Integral Care?
3: Yeah. First, we want to make sure that you're like-minded people, that you're going to vibe with everybody here, you know, on the hotline, cause that's really important, because we work together. Um, the best way I can describe it is, like, it's kind of like being in the military. You bond really fast, because you're, you know, you're doing crisis work, so... We want to make sure people have empathy we can teach some things you know technical things but empathy is one thing that you can't you know teach to someone someone has to come to work with that so that's that's major that's one thing that we're really looking for when we you know want to hire somebody bring somebody into the hotline but yeah i i think that we do ask that people have, you know, a background in, in psychology and sociology. It's really important because the calls that we're taking, they're serious. So we, you do have to have a background in that area. And as far as me being a servant leader, it's because the people here that I work with, they're amazing. I, I, I can't even explain it to you. They're just all of them. They're just amazing. And I feel that my job here is to lift them and help them become the best that they can possibly be because they're, they're amazing people here.
1: I'm wondering if there are any stories of success that you could share with us that are, of course, you know, keeping in mind everyone's privacy. But the work that you're doing, I think a lot of times we might think of it as a very sad and somber place. And I'm sure it can be that at times. But I also imagine and suspect that there might be stories that are really, really rewarding and times where you felt like I made a difference today or I was able to help today. And I'm wondering if there are any stories that you could share with us regarding those.
3: Yeah, that's one of the great reasons that we love the callback log because we do get to follow up with people and that's where we get a lot of those thank yous and we get to find out like what they did do that you know helped. And and just to, to give you an example, you know, because we talked about things that we listen for in calls and pets, pets are huge oh so many times i i I can tell you that pets like literally are saving people's lives we listen for them we because we will zone in on that um there have been several times when people were had notes written call made all the calls they needed they were ready and you could hear a pet in the background and you're able to zone in on that and remind them about the pet and they're like what's going to happen to my pet if, if i choose to take my life today i cannot do this to my pet and I, it's just wonderful, you know, to to hear those stories about pets because sometimes, you know, when someone loses a pet, they're like, "Oh, you can get another one," but pets are important. It's like having a child, so that's something that we, you know, try to listen for and zone in on when we do hear because pets are saving people's lives, literally.
1: My wife and I, just before quarantine, we adopted a little puppy. We have two cats, but I had always wanted a puppy all of my life and never had one. And uh, we just got married this last year. So it was like the timing was right. And I, have, I we had no idea how perfect the timing was. She and I were just out for a lovely walk a couple of days ago. We're here in North Carolina and the weather's been just perfect here. So we took our puppy out for a walk and we were remarking over this past seven or so months of being in quarantine how fortunate we feel to have to care for this little thing and the fact that you know it it gives us a lot of joy but it also allows us to put a lot of attention towards it he gets us out of the house he gets us walking in nature and I will verify as crazy as this makes me sound I have never because I don't have children yet myself. I've never experienced like so much love for this little thing. So like I totally understand that kind of viewpoint of how pets are so, so integral to our mental health as individuals. I just love that point. That's a great point. So
2: you're a good fur, Dan.
0: I'm that trying to be. I'm trying to be. I'm <laughs> trying
1: not to try not to mess the little guy up. He seems happy and healthy.
2: I think it also has to do with like, especially I, I'm a dog person. I love my doggy to to bits. And they're they're beings that are so loyal and they just look up to you. They see you as the best person in the world. And I think everyone kind of needs that in their life.
1: Karen, do you can you think of any uh stories of success that you could share with us from a call that you've had?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it It happens all the time. Like Pam was saying, like the call backlog, a lot of the times we'll get calls from, you know, maybe like a family member that phoned in and, you know, they maybe saw a family member of theirs like struggling or something and they were just calling for like resources. We were able to get them like local ones and they ended up following up on that on those resources and getting them like the support. And so a lot of the times it's like, Hey, thanks a lot. Like they followed through with going to X, Y, and Z place and they're doing a lot better. We sometimes even have people who may have reached out to us and then call us back like months later, just let us know like new things that are going on in their lives, making new friends or, or whatever. And so that's always, you know, great to hear.
1: We talk to a lot of professionals who work or manage in a contact center, a call center, and we know that call volumes can get pretty high. And we know that the amount of time you spend on the line with a caller is important to the entire organization as well as whoever's calling in. I think sometimes when we're dealing with basic service industry stuff, or like I had a problem with my order at Amazon and I want to call somebody about it, there's a definite like, we know when that resolution has happened. We know when it's time to end that call most of the time. How do you know when it's okay to end the interaction with that particular person? I mean, sometimes it's probably cut and dry, but other times I just feel like if I were in your position, I wouldn't feel good about disconnecting or, or or letting that call go. And I know the callbacks are great because there's kind of the promise of that. But how do you know in the moment and that conversation that so you're having with someone, especially if they're in pain, how do you know when it's okay to say, okay, we're going to end the call now?
3: Yeah, our goal is to get you to a safe place. So until we've reached that point, the call's not going to end. We're going to do everything we can to talk you through that. And we're literally going to like go through safety planning, like asking if you're having those thoughts, you know, of hurting yourself, anyone else. And if you are, we're going to keep talking and get you to a safe place. And and until you can agree to that, that call is not going to end. We're going to make sure that happens. We don't have, you know, metrics that we have to keep, you know, you can only stay on the phone this long or anything like that. Every call that comes in is unique and individual and we're going to do everything we can
0: to get you to a safe place. Place. I think one of the things that people think about when they think of suicidal ideation, oh, it's things that it's mostly teens, that teens with low self-esteem. And so that's why they're, they're having these thoughts. But sometimes it's also adults as well, too. So kind of walk us through some of those differences that you see, and then some of the prevalence that you're seeing in demographics.
2: Yeah, so we get calls from like all different like age ranges. The vast majority are adults from the point that you are an adult to really the the late stages of of adulthood. So their suicidal thoughts can literally happen to anyone. So that's, you know, one of those myths to debunk that, you know, it only happens to teenagers. I've taken calls from people as young as like 10 to people that are in their like 80s, 90s. So it it does not discriminate. Those thoughts do not discriminate. And I think it's just like important to like realize that because a lot of the times we, we don't realize when those suicidal thoughts are, are creeping up on us. People don't realize that there's a thing called passive suicidal ideations. And that's something that people sometimes don't categorize as being suicidal. It's those thoughts of like, I'd be okay if I didn't wake up tomorrow or if something happened to me, I'd be OK with that. Um, and those are also suicidal thoughts. And it literally can save your life when you're, you're having these thoughts and you start having that conversation before it gets a little bit more serious of, I'm going to kill myself, right? So it, it's important to, to recognize that passive suicidal thoughts are suicidal thoughts.
1: I want to ask a question about a really important service that Integral Care has, the Mental Health First Aid. And I'll let the two of you kind of unpack it for our listeners, but to give it a little bit of context, a number of years ago, I lost a very dear and close friend of mine to suicide. And it was one of those obviously earth shattering things. And I just, as I recollect on it, there are probably very naturally the thousand questions that anyone who's been affected in that way starts to ask themselves, what could I have done? Was there something I could have said or done at any point? Or were there red flags that I missed? Or were there opportunities where that person was kind of trying to reach out in their own way? And I think it might be natural for someone who has lost someone to suicide to have those things and to, to feel a sense of blame or shame, whether that's correct or not. I love to hear more about the mental health first aid as a means of preparing others to help to do some of that quick triage, not that it would ever take the place of you, the professionals, but this service that might give us some tools to be able to help somebody in an emergency situation, you mentioned CPR before, and I think it's very similar to that. I don't want to mischaracterize it, but you think of, I've taken a CPR class in my life, been certified as a CPR. Does that mean I need to do brain surgery? Absolutely not. I'm not a professional. I'm not a doctor, but I might be able to help somebody out in an emergency situation. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the mental health first aid program.
2: Yeah, and the the perfect way that I like to think about it is, let's say you are someone that you're driving and then you get into a car accident, right? There's always going to be that that person that's there and typically you call 911 or whatever, but in the meantime from the time that EMS gets there to like when you're there they're asking you to do that CPR until the EMS person gets there. So that's kind of how I like to think about like the mental health first aid, right? You're doing that first aid until you're able to get, you know, those other supports. And it's, it's pretty cool because you'll be able to learn like about those warning signs, any symptoms, risk factors for like mental illness. They also will teach you like action plans to help someone who's showing those signs of mental illness or someone that may be, you know, in crisis. They'll provide information on depression Uh, trauma, anxiety, psychosis, substance use, suicide, stuff like that. And there'll be professional and also self-help resources available during these mental
0: health first aid trainings. So Nate, you talked about, you know, you kind of go back in your head about, did I miss the warning signs? Should I have reached out, et cetera? And there's just this amount of survivor's guilt, I think, for folks who have lost a loved one to suicide ideation. Pam, I'm wondering if you could kind of walk through some of the tools, coping mechanisms, and maybe resources that you can point to for folks who may have lost, unfortunately, a loved one to suicide. Yeah, we get calls like that. We do get people that call
3: in, they kind of want to see what the experience is like, you know, their loved one would have called in, would have have helped, you know, they ask us those exact questions. Did I miss something? Is there something I could have done? Ultimately, if someone chooses to take their life and and they go through it with it, you can't sit and think about what I could have because that's not going to, you know, help. What you can do is just get involved with, you know, grief counseling, provide Support to other people that are going through the exact same thing, and just talk about it. I think that's the best thing that you can do. Those are tough calls. Those are really tough when you when you get those because they're hurting and they're they're struggling with it, um, just trying to figure out, you know, if they could have done something thing different. But I mean, I, I do feel that like grief counseling is like the best thing that you they could get in touch with. There are support groups for people that have um, lost someone to suicide, and Um, just being able to provide support to other people that are joining the group too and just talking about your experiences. I have found too that other people do like actually researching suicide. I don't know why, but they find some comfort in doing that as well in in the statistics and and reasons why people choose to take their life. But ultimately, you know, you you just can't blame yourself for it.
2: I think it's super important for the person to know that the loss of the person that they cared about was not their fault. And to be able to reach out to those supports, because sometimes another thing that happens is the risk goes up for for people that may have lost a loved one to suicide. So it's important to be able to seek those supports so that they're not feeling isolated. I mean, they literally just went through a major event in their life. And so it's, it's important to reach out, just like if you were to get in a car accident, you seek that support and you get that therapy, the physical therapy and all of that, it's important to to reach out to grief counseling or a therapist or, or something like that to make sure that you're okay. We, we definitely, you know, don't want to, to lose another person additionally. So I think, and I'm always really glad when, you know, those people are reaching out and giving themselves the opportunity to talk about it because it can be so difficult, you know, to have that conversation and, We're here and we're ready to have that conversation when you are.
1: Karen, Pam, uh, thank you so much for taking a moment with us. We have enjoyed time in this conversation. I know there's much more that we could continue to talk about. I do not want to end this particular show without supplying some resources. I know uh, there are resources at the bottom of our page. If you're finding this episode on Genesis.com will also be resources posted in our about this episode, wherever you're listening to the podcast for integral care. They're servicing uh, Travis County in Texas. Their phone number is 512-472-HELP. 512-472-4357. If you're in or around Travis County, But I would also, wondering what other sort of national resources for our listeners, certainly on this continent and even around the world, if you have other resources that you might want to point folks to.
2: Yeah, so definitely, you know, the National Suicide Prevention Line, it's 1-800-273-8255. We also have that crisis text line. So in Texas, you'd be able to text uh, TX to 741 and that's also free and available 24/7. There's the Trevor Project, another big one is NAMI,
1: N A M I, right. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And then the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and there's also a Veterans Crisis Hotline.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And of course, we'll uh, make sure that we have links to those as well. Uh, one of the things my key takeaway is from this conversation is the importance of normalizing these feelings and these thoughts that people have and knowing that so many of us have them and it doesn't necessarily mean you should be ashamed or you should feel guilty it is a natural human response oftentimes to adversity a lot of times it's a physiological thing but also like look at the given circumstances of where we are in the world right now there are a lot of people who are hurting who are confused who are frightened and It's okay to feel those things. It is human to feel those things, but we don't need to feel ashamed about it. We don't need to keep it inside. I think normalization and communication are some of the things I'm taking away from this. And I cannot thank you both enough for the work that you do. We will never know the lives that you are saving or impacting for the better. We'll just we're not going to know it certainly uh, on on this earth, probably. But I want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for the work that you've intended to do.
0: This has been a very hard conversation that we've been having this hour, but also a very important one. As we mentioned at the top of the hour, we're going through a lot right now between a pandemic, social injustice, and also we're coming up right around the holidays, which already is a very stressful moment as well too. So Pam, Karen, we thank you so much for sharing your insights and most importantly, sharing the resources so that everyone knows what is out there and also that you're not alone. So again, thank you so much for taking a moment with us.